1: When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 80s in Sydney, which is generally regarded as the wild west of law enforcement. A terrifying time to be a cop or a criminal or just to be in Sydney full stop. And I one day stumbled upon his case files and they absolutely ruined me. So years later, I approached dad and we went through his old case files together and it became a book, Loose Units. It's in stores right now actually. And now we're doing a podcast about it. Loose Units, the podcast, is a weekly true crime podcast where I sit across from my dad, an ex-cop from the 80s, and we dive deep into the seedy underbelly of Sydney's policing. So we're doing this podcast down here in Collingwood every week at Castaway Studios together, and we hope you enjoy it.
0: We're in different countries. Yes, we are. Yes. Mm. You're in Australia. Yes. And I'm in Thailand.
1: That's very true. Um, and obviously, we've we've uh, we've technically finished. Um, you know, we finished ten episodes of Loose Units, the podcast, and uh, you've run off to another country. Um, but I didn't. I didn't run, Paul. I flew. <laughs> There's an image. Well, technically, I guess you'd have to run and then kind of build some speed up, and then jump, and then fly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, Sounds implausible to me.
1: Great. Well, you know all about that. Now listen. Right.
0: Um, the thing is, well, there's yep. a four-hour time difference, so it's early in the morning here, and I'm going to sitting bolt upright yeah. with uh, matchsticks in my eyes, huh. not even. I mean, holding them open.
1: Yeah, no, propping the in. propping them open. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Little trapdoors. Um, well, look, I know the the tensile strength of the of the wood. In the matchsticks is going to give out, uh, soonish, so we better, we better, um, get a hurry on. Listen, um, uh, all the loose units listening to the show, um, you've been very, um, very understanding about the fact that dad has, uh, gone overseas for a couple of weeks, um, thereby depriving you of a few weeks of loose units, the podcast, but you also made it quite clear that you weren't going to stand for that. So, um, the reason for this call, dad, is, uh, to give, to give the listeners, um, some extra stuff to tide them over, um, maybe another ca- maybe another case uh, so do you have anything that you wanted to uh, to give us this week
0: well um, i I've been sort of going through my uh, my memory oh God <laughs>
1: <What>? <laughs>
0: my sort of depleted memory bank <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and I came up with a uh, with a, uh, a car chase. <laughs> Well, but it's quite an unusual car chase.
1: Yeah. Okay. correct. Because I mean, here's the thing: it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs when you think car chase isn't interesting enough for us.
0: Um, but this is a bizarre car chase in that. Well, the story will reveal itself. It's it's sort of a double poignant car chase. The, okay. end, the ending. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Sure. So would you like me to start?
1: Oh my god! Yes, please.
0: Okay. So for those people that have read the book, uh, that's uh, the book of Lucian, it's hopefully the first of at least another two or three <laughs> series, um, may recall that there was a wonderful guy that I worked with that uh, I can't mention his name, even though the funny thing is that for those listening to this podcast now, I could mention his name, Right. if this was a sort of an isolated story, but because he was also featured in your book, yeah, I, I can't really talk about, uh, because he was mentioned in, in relation to other stories that were somewhat perhaps sensitive, but in this particular case, anyway, he was an amazing guy, and he was a senior constable, mm. and it, it's weird, you know, I mean, I'm, I've just turned 59, uh, in fact, just a few days ago, and thanks to all those lovely people uh, <laughs> that wrote in saying the, the things, it was really, really sweet, Yeah. Um, really lovely. Um, but how, how amazing is it that we're talking probably 38 years and this story that I'm about to tell you, believe it or not, yeah. I actually walked around to it, um, is, is so crystal clear in my mind and, and I, I'm, I'm surprised that you haven't heard the story, which is Again, exciting. Mm. So it's an afternoon shift. So as the uh, listeners know, that's 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears> there <throat> was a weekday uh, based at North Sydney, which was always a fairly fairly busy station. And around about now, I know that it was getting dark. So it would have been depending on the time of year. Yeah. I'm going to really stretch my memory and say that it was probably winter. Okay. Yeah. So it would have been getting dark. So let's say around about 5 p.m. Um, and I, I'm the driver and I've, I've got quite a few, uh, you know, I've got some good experience under my belt with driving. Sure. And, uh, you know, back in those days, even then, you were encouraged or, or discouraged in relation to anything to do with motorbikes. So you just, it's silly. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a fantasy to consider or believe that you've got any chance chasing a motorbike.
1: What do you mean? Obviously. Like, you obviously can't catch gotcha. up to them. I mean, you used to refer to uh, motorcyclists as temporary citizens due to the high death rate, uh, but I guess the trade-off is that you can yeah. m- manoeuvre incredibly, right? You know, the
0: the, the, the term temporary Australians oh, yes. Uh, yes. Used, was used, and I, I haven't heard it used that often these days, but it was definitely uh, a term that everyone was familiar with, and it simply meant that if you rode a motorbike, uh, but it was a different culture back then. I mean, we didn't have that Vespa culture, uh, and I believe that I'm surprised that pretty well everyone in Australia doesn't ride bikes because of our beautiful climate, and mm. I think uh, you know it's it's a great way to get around, particularly with, with, uh, with urban traffic. But in this particular case, we spotted this uh, super super big bike. It was probably around about maybe a thousand cc, which is sort of at the at the top end of, of big bikes. And there was this guy, uh, you know, the rider, but he had this young girl on the back, and she didn't have a helmet. So I was a bike rider at the time, mm. and I just sort of said to my mate, look, you know, maybe we should at least you know, get her to perhaps put a helmet on or, or worse is that if you don't have a helmet, uh, then maybe consider not even riding on the back of the bike because mm-hmm. it's dangerous. Yeah. And what happened was, this guy looked behind, he saw us and um, she sort of grabbed onto his, uh, put her arms around his waist and he popped a wheelie. So he's, he's gone up on one wheel and this is a massive bike and he took off sort of still sort of doing a wheel stand mm-hmm. Then he, he sort of lowered the bike and, and they were off and we, we just thought, you know, bugger it, let's, uh, you know, let's at least try and chase them <clears throat> and so we start chasing and we're chasing them through Crow's Nest, which is a suburb uh, on the northern side of the harbour, Sydney harbour yeah. and, you know, things are going pretty well and there was a fair bit of traffic around and it enabled us to kind of, you know, keep them within sight because we knew the area really well. And, and again, going back to the principles, you know, the basic principle of, principles of car chases, you know, vis-a-vis police versus whoever, yeah. is it's always our objective, uh, as I've said, sort of, you know, ad nauseum to try and push the the uh, the offending vehicle beyond their limitations. But, but if, in this particular if case, we were, we were dealing with, you know, a guy that, you know was was a real expert on the bike and um, hey, just and quickly then,
1: just quickly when you say so when you say young girl, uh, I'm picturing like a seven year old how how old are we talking here?
0: She would have been um, you know maybe uh, you know maybe sixteen or seventeen okay okay thats yeah good but, good but what what one of the striking parts of this or the, one of the striking parts of this story early on is that what happened was she was clearly uh, banging uh, with a fist punching into his back that indicated to us that a she was shit scared b she wanted to get off the bike and and he had no intention so he was kind of we were in a situation where it looked as though you know she was a very reluctant uh, pillion passenger yeah and uh, he's sort of in and out ducking around cars and, and weaving and it's getting dark and what happened was that he we think that he actually had some really, really good knowledge of surrounding suburbs. Mm. And what he either on purpose or inadvertently did is that he actually took us well out of our area and we went into the next suburb, which is called Narrenburn. And it's kind of a sleepy suburb where it was back then where little little happened apart from the odd rape, murder, break and enter, et cetera. And we're sort of racing through these back streets, heading north, and then I began to realise, A, uh, as your listeners will know, the brakes were starting to fade, which is always a fun thing. yeah. Uh, but back in the back in the day, the, I guess the exciting thing for us is that uh, they didn't call chasers off. So we just had carte blanche to to just keep going. And it, it was always a bit in the back of your mind with a motorbike, you're always thinking, you know they've probably got a, a bigger chance of having an accident and if they do have an accident, it's probably going to be a lot worse than, you know, if they were in a car, particularly mm. with the girl on the back who was now a reluctant passenger. Mm. So that, that intensified our desire to to sort of finish things um, in, 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 a, in a sort of a safe way. Okay. And they um, they took us into these back streets of Narrenburn and then, you're not going to believe this, they, but I don't know whether it was a sort of a fluke, but he ends up taking us into this uh, fairly, fairly quiet street, but... It was weird in that they'd put these metal barriers toward the end of the street. These were metal barriers, maybe five of them in the middle of the road, to block the road off to create a cul-de-sac.
1: Oh, okay. So hang on. Were these put there by the police who'd kind of... No,
0: no. Very sweet, very sweet assumption. But no, the council were creating a cul-de-sac. Right, right. So what they'd done is they decided to make a normal street into uh, a no-through road, they 'd put these barriers in and then ultimately they would have paved on the other side of the uh, the barriers to oh. create a true cul-de-sac then remove the barriers right so this guy on the motorbike he, he he can he can drive through he can pass between two of these metal poles yeah and it gets through and you just knew that he was so so happy because he realized in that m- sort of microsecond that he'd um you know he'd he'd won right we, we we couldn't go through the barriers.
1: Mm.
0: And I'm doing around about, um, I guess I was doing maybe 60 kilometres an hour, and I was a fair way from the barriers. And he's sort of got through, put his legs down. She's still on the back. He looks behind, and he gives us the fuck you. <clears throat> now, at that point, I had a very, very, very... Short period of time to make a decision. Mm. I either stop um, and sort of come to a screeching halt, and they piss off. Yep. Or I can push the accelerator flat to the floor, and in doing so, being an automatic car, it would have come back here, back into second, yeah. and give it give you that amazing driving force. And I shouted to my mate. I, I basically, well, this is all happening really, really quickly, and there's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of you know, tension and excitement. And I basically just shouted, um, you know, words to the effect, what do I do? And he said, gun it, which were words to my, you know, music to my ears. Now, when he said gun it, I remember putting my foot flat to the floor, Mm. knocked it back into second, and we're accelerating rapidly. Now, we got to – (laughs) and so you can imagine this. The guy on the motorbike – He's (laughs) He's <laughs> expecting us to stop. Yeah, yeah. we accelerate. He would have heard it. He would have seen it, and then he would have then realised. And, and and I guess the scary thing is at this point is that if he hadn't have moved, that would have been catastrophic. Right. <clears throat> because we would have, in theory, um, well, it could have been a, you know, we would have impacted um our car with his bike, sure. which was a bit of a drama. So. We got up to around about maybe 70 or 80 kilometres an hour, and and we really had no idea what was going to happen. He, uh, you know, probably crapped himself, and he's turned back to the front, and he's just taken off. And within seconds, he's pretty well out of sight. Mm. We're heading towards these metal barriers. Now, we didn't know what was going to happen, but it was exciting. and, And... might I say somewhat foolhardy? Yeah. And the police car, which was a Falcon, we, we hit two of these barriers, and, but we didn't stop. So the barriers, two of them bent over. Now I'm sort of saying this all very, very slowly as though it's all happening in slow motion. Yeah. Obviously, the whole thing happened in about a second. Mm. But when the front of our car impacted with these two poles, the poles bent. To around about maybe 30 degrees from the ground uh-huh. and what they did like an aircraft carrier <clears throat> just got a sort of a, a curve at one end to give those the, you know the fighter jets some lift yeah uh, it gave our car some lift it actually sent our police car off at an angle at about 30 degrees and we were actually flying
1: great Okay, well, Yeah. well, you know, you've been in the air wing, so that's, that's yeah, kind that, of your
0: witness. I, I, I have been in the air wing
1: at that point. Maybe that's what wanted, made the, you go there. <laughs> that made me want to, and, and the
0: fact that I'd been skydiving, so I got to, uh, you know, yeah. to, to feel a sense of flight again. <laughs> sure. And so, our police car is in the air, mm-hmm. and like in the, back in the 70s, there was a show called Starsky and Hutch. Yes, I know. And and most of, and the Dukes of Hazzard and all those TV shows, where where probably 20% of every show, the cars were airborne. So things were pretty, things were looking good. Because what happens is when you're airborne, in theory, is that at a certain point in the future, you will actually make contact with the Earth again. Mm -hmm. So we're flying through the air. God knows what my colleague, uh, you know, the the look on his face, uh, because obviously I wasn't looking at him, I was looking at where we were going to land. And thank God that the bike had left. Otherwise, we would have landed on top of them. And now we could see them right at the end of the corner. He'd actually stopped again because he thought he'd stop and get a big laugh. He's he's sort of ridden with the girl on the back probably another, hmm, let me think, maybe 100, 150 metres, and but then at, stopped again.
1: But at this point, he's turned around and looked at the Duke boys who've been in the air <laughs> yeah. for three, four yeah. minutes at this
0: point. <laughs> yep, yeah, flying through the air. Yeah. And he realises that we're fairly uh, committed to this whole situation and we're probably never going to give up chasing him. Sure. So then he <clears> – <throat> and the, the great thing is that when we landed, and it was a rough landing, uh, like, you know, the car bounces, like in um, – the Blues Brothers, we get those police cars. Oh, yeah. Not oh, quite the wow. Blues Brothers scene where they actually, the, the guys go off that cliff and they're free-falling for about five minutes. That was, it, it wasn't like that, obviously. Well, thank but, God. No. But the thing is, uh, when our car landed, in theory, things were great and we were going to keep chasing these two. But what we didn't realise is that as the car drove over the metal barriers, they'd actually torn out the sump which is where all the oils kept in the car. <laughs> so the car the police car basically shits its pants, drops oil, which I guess from an ecological perspective is pretty uncool. Yeah, sure. We really didn't think about it back in the 80s. And the the car kept going for a little while and then and we were we were, we were really motoring. We were doing, you know, we were really motoring. I'd guess we were doing maybe 80 or 90 kilometres down, an mm. and the entire, all of a sudden, the entire car just seized up because we had no more oil in the in in the engine,
1: mm.
0: and the entire motor just stopped. And in doing so, it then caused us. I, I basically lost control of the car, and we did a four-wheel drift. So we're actually drifting into a gutter. We hit this gutter at high speed mm. with such ferocity that the inside. Or the near side wheels, they're the wheels on the passenger side. Yeah. They both folded in underneath the car. So we're sitting at this weird angle. Yeah. We're considerably higher than my partner because I'm at the side of the car which has still got wheels. Yes. It was comical. And we realized we, we weren't injured. Uh, the guy on the bike and the girl, they've, they've, they've gone. Yep. And by by now, it's a dark street. And so picture this. It's a dark street, a quiet street. People start coming out and what they see is an oil slick, yep. two bent over poles, two police officers stunned, sitting inside a car with the siren and the light still going uh, and at a really weird angle. Sure. So that's, that's what they'd be confronted with, which in itself would have to look fairly weird. And we had the embarrassment of then we had to turn the siren off, we get out of the car, and the car was pretty rat shit and uh, we had to call it in. Now, because it was in another area, we had to, and because it was a police accident, there's a lot of protocol when you when you basically ride off a police car it's oh. it's pretty serious. So we had to get the the officer in charge of Chatswood police station that we didn't know and you know he's sitting down to a nice meal it's a it's a quiet night he gets the call he's got to get into his own special police car and drive himself to a to a to a job to a situation that basically he's not you know he, he's really really pissed off
1: did he um did he use the bollards for some lift or did he go around a different way
0: no, he, he, he went the right way <laughs> okay He knew the area, of course. Sure. And he walks up and he just sort of, he gets out of the car. He didn't say a word. He looks at us. He looks at the car and he's clearly pissed off.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: And he said to my colleague, he said, well, you'll have to get it towed, which was quite a bizarre thing to say because it was obvious. Now we had to get a police tow. So, you know, it's all organized. And back in those days, we had these little, white boxes on top of the police cars and it had the word police and it used to flash and it didn't do anything it just sort of went on and off like a sad little low volt poxy dim light it was it was archaic Mm. it's if if you go back in the history of police cars you'll see these weird little signs on the top of cars that say police and they'd be flashing but we turned off the siren and the, the main lights but we'd left this thing on inadvertently anyway this tow truck rocks up and The tow truck driver gets out, and he was probably, he looked like a sort of a a part-time Hells Angel, covered in singlet, sweaty, uh, hates police, as most tow truck drivers do. And he gets the vehicle all hooked up. And we said to the officer in charge at Chatswood, we said, can we get a lift? And he went, nah. He said, get a lift in... With the tow truck can you believe it so the two of us we had to squeeze in the front cabin of this tow truck with our police car unceremonious unceremoniously attached to the back of the the truck right and uh, we sort of squashed up literally the three of us are squashed in the front of this cabin of this rotten stinking tow truck uh, with this guy that wouldn't talk to us who, who had Arms on him that were thicker than me, yeah. my whole body, yeah. and he had to drive us back to the police station. And then I looked in the rear vision mirror as we're going down the road, and I could see I'd left the little sign on, the flashing sign. It must have looked to people passing by this car with a bloody little police sign on the roof flashing thought, No, this just can't get any worse. And to be dropped off at the station by this guy that just hated the police, and it was all just—it was surreal. Um, So that's kind of that part of the story. But then here's here's the uh, here's the uh, look. I don't know how to describe how I feel about the next thing I'm going to say, but it's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. It turns out that this particular guy, um, because we had all the details, for the motorcycle driver yeah we had all these details mm. and he was a bit of a you know he he wasn't a, he wasn't a crim and um, but we knew where he lived and we we kind of were following up on you know, you, know you, you, could, you, could, you could do what was called like a breach report where you'd go back to the station and fill out all the details and you could proceed by summons and yeah, we were sort of going down that path yeah. and then two weeks later, there's a road up north. North of Sydney called the Old Pacific Highway and it's a really beautiful road. It's not like the expressway, which is sort of fairly boring and flat. Um, it's, 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 it's really, um, challenging for motorbike riders and hence a lot of bike riders use it. And we received, um, a report that, uh, this guy and the girl had, um, shot, overshot a corner. And like in a really, really bad movie, they they must have been traveling incredibly fast because they went off a cliff.
1: Oh, God.
0: And they actually went through, um, so the two of them and the bike went through a massive billboard. Oh, God.
1: Yeah,
0: and were killed. So that was, uh, we found that out a few weeks later.
1: Oh, God. Yep. So there you go. I guess, the, ironically, if you, if you caught them that night, that wouldn't have happened. Yep. Maybe, perhaps, perhaps. Not um, or maybe it would have happened eventually anyway, I'm not sure, yeah, yeah,
0: but that's uh you know pretty uh pretty full on
1: that's horrifying, i mean it does it does get me thinking about traffic i actually i mean part of the reason I wanted to chat with you, Dad, is because I had a um there was a story that you told me a little while ago that that is relevant, let me just set this up for the listeners, so um. My fiance Tegan Higginbotham, who's a comedian and broadcaster and uh, presenter, and she's amazing. Uh, she has launched a uh, podcast about why we're all so obsessed with Paris. It's called Rue Lamarque and um, there'll be a link to it uh, below this episode. And uh, it's on iTunes right now. episode one is finally launched. It's just it's crammed with amazing guests and I'm the, um, I'm, I'm producing the show. Uh, and obviously, you know Tegan and I are very, very into Paris. Um, and I was chatting with you, Dad, about uh, Paris because you and my sister Anne went to Paris a couple of years back and you told me a story about um, some fairly hairy driving stuff uh, that is actually set in Paris. So I thought maybe you could uh, tell that story on this show as a way of kind of, you know, discussing a Parisian adventure of yours.
0: <clears throat> okay, well,
1: look, I
0: guess all the listeners that have driven overseas will, will appreciate that, you know, driving in different countries presents different experiences you know we have a certain sort of way of driving in Sydney and in Melbourne in the country Mm. Um, before I talk about that perhaps I can just mention that every time um, you know we're in Thailand I always hire a car here sure and you know driving in Asia is uh, is pretty intense Mm. Um, and the key to driving in Asia is you just concentrate on what you're doing and you don't Look or think about the, the thousands and thousands of bikes around you, right. motorbikes, and you just know. You get to know after a while that they actually will avoid you. Uh, so that's sort of one style of driving. Um, your sister and won a prize. It was an international writing competition, and the prize uh, involved flights, return flights to Paris. Yeah. And she she asked me whether I'd like to sort of go with her, and I I uh, obviously uh, responded in the affirmative. And when we arrived in Paris, part of the deal was that uh, we'd pick up a brand new. It was a a Renault, I think. Okay. Uh, from the airport. Now I don't like driving on what I term the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Um, and uh, so imagine you rock up to Paris, and it's a fairly long flight. It's at least 20 hours. Mm. We'd we'd stopped in Abu Dhabi uh, for a little while, and so we arrive at Charles de Gaulle in the morning, and it's peak hour. It's a Monday morning, 7 a.m., and you're off your face, uh, and we pick up this... I don't know how we – I actually can't remember how we made our way to this weird car place. And we and there's this car, a brand-new Renault. And Anne says, well, we've got to drive it into the city. So we get into this car, and, I, I'm you know, I'm sitting on the other side of the – I'm sitting on the left side, which is bizarre. If it had been a manual, I just couldn't have done it. Sure. No. Away. But it's an auto, thank God. So at least I can concentrate on the steering. Mm. And so, so you're delirious, jet lag, sun's coming up, and you're driving on the other side of the road, mm. uh, uh, and it's a big, big, big. It's a big call, and it's stressful. And we programmed the uh, the onboard computer. Uh, and it's kind of telling you where to go, and it was just look, it 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 was pretty pretty heavy going.
1: Is it telling you where to go in English or French?
0: Oh, I can't remember. Honestly, I was I was off my face, and it's not what you want to do when you rock up to an, in, to a city and drive. I think actually that that's the first time I've ever driven sure. on that sure. side of the road in my life, and you know if you if you're sort of if you've been driving. Uh, you know, if you've got a lot of kilometres under your belt, um, if you've been driving for, say, you know, at least 40 years, it's pretty well indelibly imbe- uh, sort of etched into your psyche and your DNA. This is how I drive. And then to sort of flip it is like when you come to a roundabout in uh, in Europe, you know, what do we do in Australia at a roundabout? We, you know, we, we we go left. Oh, no. No, you've got to go Right. And that completely fucks with your mind. Yep. Yep. So anyway, I'm concentrating super hard on getting us to this hotel. Now the hotel was on the Seine in like meters from uh, the Eiffel Tower. So it's right in the in the middle of Paris, it's peak hour. And I'm driving and I and Anne just sort of had this weird sort of weird tone and she said, Oh Dad, look look what's ahead. I didn't know what to expect, and I sort of look up. It's not as though, in fairness to the listeners, that I've been looking down all the time, but you know, I was concentrating not on what was a, a long, long way ahead of me, and I realized that we're heading towards the Arc de Triomphe. Now, that particular location in the world has a yeah. reputation yeah. as being a. <sighs> God, I don't even know it. I don't know how to describe what I saw, but I, it looked like
1: how many lanes? Headed... How many lanes is it around the Arctic Ring? It's because it's basically it's a it's a, it's like the world's biggest roundabout. I think it's.
0: Uh, it looked as though that it looked as though the cars were twenty deep.
1: It's somewhere between like seven and nine lanes of tra- like it's 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 and it's mayhem. I I read that somewhere there's um. There's multiple car crashes there every single day, just non-stop crashes, basically. And you're so, heading in there jet-lagged, driving on the wrong side of the road.
0: Wrong side of the road. And I just thought, this is—I could—I could—I could feel my sphincter <laughs> pucker up. And I thought I need to close every bodily orifice. i was just not going to get through this. Yeah. And poor Anne, you know, she's sort of sweet. She's not saying anything, but obviously, you know, shitting herself. Yeah. yeah. And and then. From memory, I'm not quite
1: sure whether this is right, but I feel from memory that it was cobbled. I'm it, not sure it is. No, you're, 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 I've been on top of it relatively recently and looked down, and yeah. it is it is cobbled. Yeah. So that 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 presents itself,
0: uh, you know, with another weird because the, the car's sort of gyrating and vibrating from underneath you, and you sort of emerge into this this shitstorm. It reminded me of um, it looked like. Uh, looking down at ants like millions of ants or right. just sort of but thank god they're all going in one direction and you kind of you get into this weird sort of a vortex and it slows right down uh thank god and you kind of just have to try and get through it but the, then you, you're confronted with this equally horrifying prospect of how the fuck do I get out of it? Right. Because you've got to know, and if you're not in the right spot, if you're too deep within this sort of vortex, uh, then you can't get out of it the way you'd like to, i.e. sort of veer out to the right. You've then got to, I guess, go around it. But like a funnel, you know, when you take – the plug out of a sink mm. everything's working toward the center yeah and then you just go down and vanish and that's that feeling you start to get that as you keep going around you're being drawn in to the actual middle and in the middle there's nothing you can do well there's
1: the, there is the arc itself but as everyone knows that if you pass through the actual arc you'll end up in another universe so it's best not to yeah not to give in so, to the pull of gravity so,
0: I was relying on Anne to sort of help me out, and, mm. and eventually we uh, we managed to. I don't know how, but it was a very very. It was an exciting experience afterwards to know that I'd actually done it. Yeah. Um. And 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 there will probably be listeners that go, you know, whoopie whoopie do, you know. But I don't think a lot of Australians that visit Paris, at least on holidays, look. Why on earth would you hire a car in Paris when you've got such a great public transport system it's so great and the joy and beauty of paris of course is is walking Mm. uh, and and just taking it in because it's it's like i've always thought that with travel it's always great to go to places that are different where you actually can say i am in a certain city yes which you know i've had in amsterdam i've certainly had it in iceland where you just know in reykjavik wow this is you know it's Sort of places that you know, you know, perhaps in Morocco as well and, and of course, London, mm. um, as opposed to a generic city where, you know, you could be anywhere. Um, but, yeah, look, it's the fact that we had the car uh, for a few weeks and we got to drive around France, which was uh, exciting, but that was, that was pretty full on.
1: Did you ever yeah. um did you ever see any um, French police officers when you when you go to a foreign country and you see cops from a different you know culture in different uniforms behaving differently do you ever like you know compare and contrast with your own experiences
0: look the um, I do remember I've often kind of if I get an opportunity I I try and talk to police in various countries because mm. uh, there is that international uh, I guess in theory a sense of camaraderie you that know, mm. you're all pretty well doing the same thing but one of the things I did notice in Paris that was fairly uh, well it was pretty full on and that was that a lot of the gendarmes carry uh, machine guns ah. so that's a bit of a shock uh, and, and, and you know they when they walk the streets over there when you see police carrying uh, sort of at 45 degrees to their body these these, these guns that are uh, you know mighty mighty powerful You begin to realise that perhaps things are not, uh, you know, it's different to Sydney and Melbourne.
1: Well, yeah, because I mean, the image of Paris is like the criminal element there wears stripy, uh, stripy long sleeve shirts, little burglar masks, and have twirling moustaches, and they steal bags with the, you know, with uh, with coins in them. But in actuality, Paris is a hub, like a European hub, and they've had a lot of insane stuff happening. Like, can you imagine being a police officer in a city where Things were that escalated. I mean, do you think that, do you think that would dissuade people from from enrolling in the police academy, or do you think it would actually up enrollments? Look,
0: um, I think if you uh, have a desire at any point in your life to to become a police officer, look, let's let's cut to the chase here. Uh, policing is it's exciting. Mm. Uh, the When you walk out onto a public street in uniform, uh, you know, it's like putting on a kind of a perhaps a little bit like putting on a superhero's outfit. Um, You've got a little bit more power perhaps um, and some people abuse it. Yes. But, you know, I observe police uh, in Sydney and, you know, one thing I – look, one glaring – Glaringly, sort of obvious thing for me that I do notice is that the uh, the size, you know, in terms of the physical characteristics of police these days, at least uh, in Sydney, yeah, uh, because of the Equal Employment Opportunity uh, legislation, that there's a, a greater diversity in, you know, I mean, when I, you, you know, in your in your book, when we talk about when I went for the uh, the physical. The yeah, the physical and, and, and it was just you know, they had a minimum height. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, they wouldn't you are. they wouldn't do that these days. They don't do that these days. Oh. You know, and I've seen some um some you know fairly I don't know how to put it <laughs> Just, Just yeah well you're
1: in, not a not a typical, like action hero style you know- f- physical features i guess what I, I guess what I'm angling for that is that you've you've technically run your course as a police officer uh in New South Wales um would you ever consider heading across to Paris and re-enrolling as like a senior sergeant or something? do you think do you think you could have another crack at it in another city specifically Paris because you know it's Paris
0: well you know if I look in Thailand they have what are called uh tourist police uh-huh and um,
1: that I've considered doing here. Is that where you stop tourists taking photos with their iPads in art galleries, uh, or are you talking like you're a police officer who liaises with um, not the local population?
0: You liaise with uh, with all the tourists because yeah. imagine in Thailand, for example, there are there are places here that where you know there are lots of tourists. Yeah, obviously, and uh, you know. I think it's a really, really, really clever idea where, where the Thai police, the Royal Thai Police have decided that, you know, why not have some some police representatives uh, from all the different countries, mainly mainly Western countries and, and European countries, mm. uh, where, where, where tourists, you know, if you're a French tourist, you can go to a tourist police officer. Because, you know, let's face it, English is, dare I say it, um, pretty
1: well, the you know, it's a language. It's certainly up there, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah so, uh, you know, uh, isn't it wonderful to think that if you have a problem here, you can go to a police officer, albeit a uh, sort of a, not a token police officer, but, you know, they don't have the same powers, but, you know, in Paris, if they called for um, ex-police, yeah, uh, that where English was their, their mother tongue, uh, yeah, I, I'd give it a crack because what a what an amazing and exciting and exhilarating uh, way to discover the the, the true city, yeah. the essence of the city. Because policing what you're doing is like remember in the book where we spoke about a, a shift in general duties back in the 80s would consist of a minimum of two to 250 kilometres per shift cruising. Mm. At the Kilometres an hour.
1: Imagine doing that around Paris, Jason Bourne style, like through alleyways.
0: But imagine working with some of the great police in Paris. Oh. Imagine the things they'd show you. Yeah. Imagine the places they'd take you. Yeah. Wow. It would be exciting. And, and, and again, in, in your book, there was that police officer um, that I worked with at North Sydney that used to spend all his annual leave working as a LACD. full- officer in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I look I think if anything if we've learned anything during this this I mean, we said okay, first of all, we said this was going to be a bonus episode and it's turned into basically a full-length episode. So l- let that be a lesson to your listeners when you ask for something you will get it. Um and it seems like this break from the podcast isn't really a break so much as it is just a change in location. Um but also, I I would like to consider this episode um a legally binding promise that at some point some of you may be in a far flying country, probably in Paris. Uh, and you might see a familiar (laughs) silver-haired sergeant uh, helping people cross the street, and it might be Dad. Well, look... One one little uh, extra piece of uh, housekeeping. Um, we will be doing another episode like this next week, in all likelihood. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, if you haven't already grabbed Loose Units, the book, uh, it's in bookstores now, or you can order it online, or there's an ebook, or alternatively, you can wait until April the first when you can get the audiobook from literally anywhere and everywhere that you get audiobooks from. Make sure you head across to iTunes um, and have a listen to Ruler Mark. That's R-U-E. L-A-M-A-R-C-K. It's named after the street that Tegan and I um, stayed on the first time we went to Paris. It's right behind the Sacré-Cœur. It's, it's really an incredible, funny, charming, informative show, and it's on iTunes right now. It's crammed full of amazing guests. Uh, the website, rulermark.com which we built, is, again, just your one-stop shop for everything Parisian. So make sure you hit that up. And uh, we will see you next week for another bonus episode of Loose Units, the podcast.